Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you've had a solid start to the year. And the reality is we are trying to make sense of a lot of things that happened last year. And really the big question I think for a lot of us is just what happened? And then the second question is where from here, where are we going? And that's the kind of conversation that we have today. I have Todd Bolsinger on the podcast. Todd wrote the book, Canoeing the Mountains. He works in change leadership, largely with churches and organizations. And I actually invited him into an experience that we had down in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastors from across the country wanted to make sense of last year so that they could make progress next year. They wanted to name some things that happened, compare notes, and then ultimately move toward activating here in the future. And so we ate barbecue together and we went to Top Golf and we had a blast getting to know each other. We ate some great food along the way. We processed, you know, kind of where we've been together. We prayed together. It was a beautiful few days. And that's something that I actually get the privilege of doing here at Stay Forth is curating experiences that others invite us into. And so we would love to lead one of those experiences for you so that you get to just be on it. And so we get to curate those with the food, the experience, all of it. And we also are able to bring our chef along as our director of experiences. If you are interested, we'd love to talk to you. We also have some experiences coming up. We have one in April for pastors. We call that the Phoenix Fill-Up. And we've got one in Breckenridge for some kingdom leaders we're really excited about in November. You can go check those out at stayforth.com backslash coaching. Excuse me, stayforth.com backslash goforth. And you can check that out. That's our experiences page. So we let you into an experience that we are having. I asked questions about Todd Bolsinger and tempered resilience and where we've come from and all these kind of things. I asked questions right at that. We actually had some questions that people were texting in from the next room over and they were giving kind of some real-time feedback. So it was a pretty fun kind of hybrid experience we had. We wanted to put it here on the podcast for you. This is Todd Bolsinger on his book, Tempered Resilience. And we're asking the question, how do we lead with both strength and flexibility right now? Hope you enjoy this conversation. Todd, welcome to uh, both the podcast today and uh, to our live audience uh, coming here from just outside of Fort Worth, Texas. Nice to be with you, Alan. Nice to be with all you guys. Yeah. So um, today we kind of come in, this is day two of a live experience um, where we are looking back last year and sort of naming some of the things we've been through, which is harder than we might imagine. Uh, and then we're heading forward. And so uh, we're talking through your book, Tempered Resilience, which has been so good. A leader said to me this week, one of the only books I was angry when it ended. So I don't know, Todd, I think it's a good thing. You're angering people that it's, that it's over. It's not twice as long, but I really feel like God has prepared you um, to lead a lot of people through this moment, especially church leaders. So this is a crucial conversation that we care enough that people are literally flying across the country, not just to eat good barbecue, but to talk about hard conversations with you. So why don't you just start with this title? tempered. What do you mean by tempered and how does that fit together with this idea of resilience? Yeah. So, so um, I was trying to figure out how to respond when I got the same response over and over and over again, 
um, after speaking on my last book. So my last book, Canoeing the Mountains, is about adaptive leadership and how do you lead when you're not an expert? How do you lead when you're in uncharted territory? And what would happen is I would go meet with groups of people and I would speak and then somebody, you know, like you would take me out for barbecue and then say, um, hey, so thanks for that. We'd love to get your slides. And there'd be like this sigh, like, <laughs> like, well, what? And they go, we just don't know if we have anybody who can do this. And my first thought was like, oh my gosh, I got to do a better job of training people then, right? And they said, no, 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 the issue isn't that. It's, oh, we don't know if anybody has a stomach for this. This is really hard. This is hard to do. And I be, and one person said, you know, I, I'm, I think I can learn to lead change. I'm not sure I can survive it. And so I started listening to people and realizing that what they, what they were actually talking about wasn't just getting tough, though there was a kind of strength that is needed. It was also developing the wisdom to be able to lead people like, through their own resistance. That the most soul-sucking soul thing for leaders is not the challenges out in the world. We're fire up for that. It is the resistance of the team you put together to, to address those challenges, right? It is your own people resisting. And that made me realize that you need, we needed to think more deeply about resilience. That it's not just a matter of like being like a Navy SEAL who can gut it out but it's literally learning the capacity to be both strong and flexible, both uh, stronger than we ever thought and also able to wisely navigate the particularities of what you have to do. And so I started thinking about the, the notion of a tempered tool and took it from there. Mm, yeah, so talk a little bit more about that. Flexibility, yeah. strength. Obviously, I mean, maybe even crack open your analogy of the forge. I love that that's you literally talk about blacksmithing throughout the whole yeah. book and, and you're in your wife's experience. Talk about that mixture of strength and flexibility. Yeah. So, so it started by, um, I was reading through a section of the famous, uh, I have a dream speech, which, you know, the, by uh, Dr. King that, um, it really, he, that part of the speech, most people who studied it know wasn't in the speech that he, the, I have a dream section. He did extemporaneously because Mahalia Jackson yelled at him, right. tell him tell about, him the, about dream, the dream, Martin, tell him about tell the dream. About right. The dream. So, so, so he launches into this, this section, but it starts with this great phrase where he says, we're after talking about Isaiah chapter 40, he says, with this faith, I go back to the South. And, and I, first, first time I heard that, I flipped over it. Then I realized, oh my gosh, he's looking at a bunch of people who've all come from the South. They've come mm -hmm. from the marches, the dogs, the hoses, the jails, the beatings. And he says, because I have this faith in Isaiah 40, that God is going to transform the world and all of creation, I'm going back to the jails, the dogs, the hoses, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. With this faith, we'll be able to hew out of a mountain of despair or stones of hope. With this faith, we'll be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. Well, it's good preaching, man. It's great preaching. It's parallelism. It's hue and transform are linked together. So now you should ask the question, what kind of tool can hue? Not bludgeon or batter or blow up the, the mountain of despair. Not dynamite or sledgehammers, but chisels that can turn this granite mountain of despair into stones of hope that you can build something beautiful and amazing. And that question about how do you become a tool that can hew led me and my wife to take a blacksmithing class <laughs> because I wanted to learn about tempered tools. And, and so there's a blacksmithing community in Los Angeles in a neighborhood where there has not been a horse in a hundred years, but there's a group of artisan blacksmiths who get together with big forges fired up to 
thousands of degrees and anvils and hammers and bunches of tools. Everything in that thing can hurt you or kill you. You walk into that place. It is where serious work is done. And before you know it, you are blacksmithing. I mean, literally, you walk in, you sign your name on a release that says, this is dangerous. <laughs> they give you ear protection. That's all they gave you. I'm thinking to myself, I should have chain mail or something, right? Like, I'm like, no, they give you ear protection. They gave you a tongs and a piece of steel. You put that steel into the fire and into the forge, and you are blacksmithing. And I thought that's what leaders experience every day. Yeah, that's right. You get into something more dangerous, deeper, more unsettling, more unnerving, more vulnerable, more exposed than you ever imagined just by signing up for this thing. You did not expect yeah. that to be the experience. And yet that is when you actually are beginning to be formed into a leader. Mm, that's good. So page 16, Todd, you say leadership is called into action when there's a problem outside of the organization that needs to be addressed and the organization needs to change in order to take on that problem. Uh, what's the true problem outside the church right now that's forcing us to actually have to change? Well, this is so. Uh, so we're talking about this like what, uh, nine, ten months into COVID, right? And one of the parts about the pandemic that's become really clear is, as I think, the pandemic has been revealing. Uh, it's, it's it's apocalyptic in the sense that it reveals what's going on. It's not. It's the challenge isn't so much. COVID. The challenge is that COVID reveals everything that's already been going on in our churches. And yeah. so it's brought them up to the surface, kind of like the underlying conditions of a human body that is more susceptible to COVID. You know, like you already had heart disease, you already had diabetes, you were already obese. Those things make it more dangerous. I think what we're finding is the church is becoming really aware that we have these underlying issues that have been going on for a while that now we're having to confront in a rapidly changing world. And that we need to do is confront those things. We need to look at those underlying issues, those bigger challenges, so that we can participate in God's mission to the world. That's the point. The point is the church being more and more um, equipped and able and relevant to a changing world. Um, I, I, I had an experience I tell in the book where a group of Silicon Valley uh, tech people looked at me and said, nobody cares about your institution. Nobody cares about our companies. Nobody cares about your organization. Nobody cares about your congregation. They only care that your organization cares about them. Wow. No, nobody cares that your congregation survives this. They only care that your congregation cares about whether they survive it. They care about you. You've got to care about them, which means that what we have to do is be aware that our default, the default action of most leaders is to try to change our congregations, say for pastors, for the sake of our members. Mm. And what we actually have to come to grips with is we have to change the life of all of us as members for the sake of our mission in the world. And that's way harder because we have begun to become conditioned to believe that the reason why we became pastors of this church is to keep this church alive and going and thriving and connecting. And it's actually to keep this church real and relevant and vibrant and alive and a witness to the world around us. Yeah, so good. Um, Todd, we've been doing some vulnerable reflection uh, over the last few days with these pastors mm -hmm. gathered here. Super helpful perspe perspective, a little bit prickly uh, as well. We've looked back, we've looked ahead. Describe what vulnerable reflection is and why it's so valuable right now in this moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, so one of the great ironies about a tempered tool is that you actually have to melt it down. Right? You got to actually go from being strong and solid to almost liquid, like oozy, malleable, in order to shape it. If you try to pound on steel with a hammer on a handful when it's not heated up, all you do is mar it and scar it. So the first thing that has to happen, and this is the great irony when I talk to leaders who want to be like change leaders, I said, so the very first thing you have to recognize is you've got to get comfortable with embracing your own vulnerability. Because the where God is going to be able to shape you and what's going to make you into a tool that is both stronger and wiser is your capacity to start by allowing your, by acknowledging your need, your vulnerability, your, your need to learn your, that you're out of your depth. I mean, so, so I was thinking this, everybody who becomes a leader, the moment before you're a leader, you're at your very best. You're like an expert. You're incredible. That's why you got the promotion to leader, right? You're the best speaker in the yep. church and they make you a preacher and you're the best preacher. They make you the pastor, right? You're the best scholar. They make you the dean of the school. You're the best salesperson. They make you the sales manager. It means the moment when you were at your, at your highest, you then get promoted to be a leader and now you're a beginner again and it feels terrible. It feels like you want to be able to lead out of your expertise and you can't. You actually have to lead out of your capacity to lead learning and lead mm. people through change and loss, and especially in a rapidly changing world. Mm, that's good. Um, a couple of maybe exercises of vulnerable reflection. What are some easy things we can be doing both personally and maybe with our teams right now? Well, one of the most important things you can do is to acknowledge, pay attention to, and acknowledge when you are tempted tempting, tempted to fake it. Mm. Almost every one of us was told somewhere along the way, hey, fake it till you make it, you know? Uh, men especially. Actually, there's all kinds of research that was done by Harvard on the fact that men tend to do better at getting a job because they, pro they project confidence when they have no competence. And women actually do better in the job because they actually, if you give them the job, they will acknowledge their lack of competence and learn quicker. Oh, snap. Oh snap! That's a oh, whole other podcast and, episode for another day. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's and this is and you see this. This is what's really dangerous, particularly for a lot of us who are you know men who've gone into ministry. Just let's start with men for a second, or anybody who was taught the way you become a leader is by basically you know projecting leadership. And the truth of the matter is, the minute you project that you're an expert, you're done learning. This is as far as you can go. So you can look really, really great on the day that you become the pastor and they all clap for you, but you're now got to be willing to be the person who is, goes through the learning process, the vulnerability, the standing in front of people and saying, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't have the right answer, all the answers. We're going to learn it together. That's really hard. That's really hard. Especially, I mean, everybody who goes to seminary, I work at a seminary. Everybody who comes to seminary, somebody said to them, you're the best Christian I know. You should go pro. You should go off to professional Christian school. And then we take you into the school, we give you a degree, and we make you a master of divinity. It sounds like a superhero. And we send you back home, and people expect you to be the superhero. And you actually, what you have to do is say, this is, now I'm actually going to be a disciple. I'm going to lead you as a fellow disciple. We're going to be learners, following Jesus, being transformed as we go. Yeah. It's very hard. So hard. Uh, you quote Heifetz and Linsky. You say, people do not resist change per se. They resist loss. Tell me yeah. more. Well, this is both good news and bad news. Okay, so 
Um, the bad news is it means that when people are resisting you, it's not that they're being stubborn and, and it means you can't talk them into it. You can't convince them. You can't make them do stuff. There's a whole set of series of, of studies that have proved that, you know, people don't change because of fear, facts, or force, which are, I always say those are a few of my favorite things. Right? Like if I can scare you into urgency to change or convince you with data that we need to change, or if I've got the power to make you change, those people don't change for those things. They change, they're resisting loss. So what they need is to be accompanied through the loss. And the good news is that most of us who've been in ministry at all are good at that. We actually have been trained at how to come alongside people, sometimes in the very worst loss, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, the loss of a job, or the loss of a vocation or a dream or a relationship. We know how to accompany people through loss. What we haven't learned is how to accompany a system, a community through loss, and especially accompany a community through loss where they blame you for taking them into that wilderness. Mm. And that's, what, that's we what we see in the life of losing people. things at the same time and trying yeah. to grieve either at the same pace or a few steps ahead. Yeah. Loss everywhere. Yeah. Or, 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 or it's, it's Moses taking people to the, taking the Hebrews to the promised land. Like I'm going to take you out of slavery. Yeah. You're going to go through a wilderness and it's going to be hard and what's weird about it is you see six weeks after the parting of the Red Sea, six weeks after the greatest miracle until the resurrection, six weeks later, they're going, you know, they killed our children, but at least in Egypt, we had leeks and onions Yep. and people want to go back. It's normal. It's natural. It's what mm. people do in, in, in whenever they're in unfamiliar terrain mm. and they blame you. They grumble against Moses. It was what the scriptures say. Mm. Wow. They, they they blame you for it. So you've got to lead people through losses when they're mad at you. Wow. That's fun. Everybody signed up for that, right? Yeah. Yes. Leading through loss when they're mad at you. All right. So let me describe kind of the next room over. Uh, we have some amazing leaders, pastors gathered right here. And we are in the midst of tension. We, we took mm -hmm. on maybe five big topics today where we're saying we don't know the answer to these. Yeah. We have some different perspectives um, people are asking different questions, different fears. All that. Like we are in the midst of capital T tension on these things. Um, give especially these pastors some direction as they head on planes, they go back home and they want to open a can of tension with their staff now as well. Talk about tension. Talk about the need for it. Why do we hate it so much, but why do we need it so much right now, Todd? Yeah. So... So anytime that you are facing um, a challenge where there are no best practices, that's what we want to go to. We want to find the best practice. Okay, who did this well? Let's just do what they did. The problem, of course, is that somebody else can be really successful in their setting that won't work in yours, right? So, so you have to start by acknowledging that the tension comes because it's real. We're not making it up. We're not manufacturing it. Well, the truth is we don't know what to do next. We aren't sure what this is going to do. We are yeah. nervous about this, right? There is no guarantee. There's no safe way through. So what you then have to do is you have to say, okay, so because of that, we're going to be a learning community. And we're going to start by focusing on the things that are essential. What, what do we know is so clear about us that we will never change? And you better boil that one down. People are going to want to make that as big as they can. It's like having way too much equipment. It's like, you know, it's like the whole metaphor canoe in the mountains. You don't need canoes. If you're going through mountains, you're going to have to figure out how to drop the canoes. 
if you want to keep discovering. If your goal is to paddle, then you go find rivers. If your goal is to discover a whole new world, then drop the canoes and start walking. Then the other thing you need to do is recognize that you may not have best practices, but you probably need bigger perspectives. And you particularly need to increase the amount of voices and the amount of diversity of your voices. What many leaders do when they get to a tough situation is you huddle up with the same four or five people. And Friedman is really, Ed Friedman is really clear about this. You know, relational systems that get imaginatively gridlocked can't get out of it by thinking about the problem more. Conceptually stuck systems do not become unstuck simply by trying harder. So don't get a bunch of canoers and tell them, gather together, guys, paddle harder. That isn't going to work. You've actually got to open up yourself to more perspectives, which means you need more voices, which means Lewis and Clark needed to start listening to the Native American teenage nursing mother they hadn't written down a word she said because she was just an other until they needed her. And then she became critical to them. And that means they had to open up and change their biases. They needed to acknowledge their resistance. They needed to bring in. So learning communities that have increasing diversity who are clear on their core values, clear on, um, I often talk when I consult with churches and I work with them on developing their charism, identifying what is your gift? What is uniquely your value applied to this, into this world? Like what is your charism? It's like what the the Catholics use that word a lot in their orders. Mm -hmm. How do you increase diverse voices? How do you courageously face resistance? And then prototype. Don't try to predict the future. There, and prototype. Do safe, small experiments. Experiment your way to the future. Build your way. Try a small experiment. Try a small conversation. Learn what you can. Um, you know, in the 1990s, they used to say, you know, quote Wayne Gretzky, you know, skate to where the puck is going. Well, what if there's four pucks and they're going in four different directions? Right? <laughs> yes. Right? What if the right, game is totally changed? Yeah, it's super hard. I don't even know where yeah. are the pucks coming from. Where's my stick? Yeah. How do I skate? Yeah. Like I have so many questions. Yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting. If you actually listen, go read interviews by Jeff Bezos. He never spends time predicting the future. What he gets really clear on is what is essential. Mm. So Jeff Bezos says Amazon was built on a real thing. People need real goods at a really good price delivered to them conveniently by somebody trustworthy. They're not going to tell you what 2050 is. They get they get to drones by starting with that. So getting really clear on what's essential, what's our charism, who are we, and then making that the making healthy adaptations of that. So that by adding diverse voices of people to give you more perspective, by experimenting your way forward, and by acknowledging that you're going to have resistance, that you're going to have to courageously face resistance with a kind of tempered resilience because it comes every single time. Mm, that's good. A couple of uh, questions here. We got one coming in from Chuck. I was a pastor in Lubbock. Is there an identifiable difference between tempered resilience and selfish, insecure stubbornness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. Okay, oh, great. Well, <laughs> well, here. Okay, so whenever, so um, um, tempered resilience has actually been tested, and it's usually been tested by people that you trust. Right. So it's been shaped and formed over a long period of time. 
stubbornness. I mean, when I think of a stubborn person, what I actually think of is a brittle person, a person who, as soon as you give them any resistance, they're going to break. It's like a, so when I was doing the the blacksmithing, they told me, look, remember, tempered is not really, really, really strong. It's halfway between soft and brittle. And so I know a lot of leaders who, because they're so afraid of failing, they become brittle. And then what we watch is they blow up and blow up their churches with them. And that's why we have incredible heartbreaking stories of failures, moral failures, emotional and mental health failures, right? That's tempered is not that tempered is actually the long, slow process of heating and holding and hammering and quenching, (laughs) heating, vulnerability, holding security, hammering, shaping spiritual practices that have shaped you quenching a rhythm of leading and not leading of where you actually let it, I mean, tempering happens by slowly cooling down a heated tool, not by plunging it into the water. It's by slowly letting it heat cool down. So, so tempering is a process of maturity that happens over a time through a process. Um, stubborn selfishness, well, might, 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 I raised kids when they're little. <laughs> stubborn selfishness is us in our most immature state. It's a different thing. Yep. That's good. Got a a handful of church planners uh, in the mix here. What questions would you be asking in this moment if you were months away from beginning a new church or a new faith community? Yeah. So the thing, so, so, okay. So let me um, tell you a quick story and you'll get this. So it's in the book. So you've seen it, but when I was trying to start a new venture for Fuller Seminary, like Fuller was facing the reality that seminaries are in decline mostly because less and less people need to go to seminary and the mainline churches are in decline. And, and, you know, we were one of the biggest seminaries in the world and, you know, we have a thousand less students than we had 10 years ago. So all of a sudden we were asking ourselves these questions about what we needed to do differently. And so we started thinking, well, what the church needs is resources delivered to them from our research without people needing necessarily our degrees or initials after their names or debt. So we decided to launch into that. Well, I met with a group of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who asked me to like, you know, I asked them if they would just vet my, my idea. And when they heard me do the pitch, they said to me, you just gave us a pitch that's all about Fuller, not about the people you said you want to serve. You just gave us a pitch that's all about Fuller. <laughs> like you just told us why this would be a good thing for Fuller in a changing world. Nobody cares if Fuller survives. Nobody cares if your institution survives. Nobody care if your church survives. They only care if your church cares about them. Well, when you start paying attention to that, now you start asking yourself the question, if we're planning a church, what is the need and the pain point in the world? What is the thing that our neighbors need? What is the what is what does our neighborhood need? What does our community need that needs a community of people who have been met with the gospel of Christ and the Holy Spirit to make a difference? So every time I do a consultation, one of the things I make them do is do listening exercises in the community where they never talk about the church. Don't bring the church up. Mm. Don't bring God up. Talk to them about their lives. Talk about what is it that what would make this a better place to live? What would make this to be a place that would be a more just place to live? What would make this community into the kind of place you want to raise your children? And and you all of a sudden you start hearing people's longings. And then you try to say, okay, what is it we are called to do? What how does our charism, how does our gift reach those people and impact those people? 
So if you're going to plant a church, it's got to be more than just, we need another church. It's got to have a, like, what is the gift and the charism that's going to, of your church that you're going to offer to this community that literally would make it so that soon people would say, we can't live without you. We absolutely, this community needs you here. Mm, That's great. This question coming in from Brent, what does the academic institution uh, like Fuller have to teach us in COVID and beyond? Well, the biggest things that academic institutions teach us is really how to be deep learners. Like there's one thing we can teach you topics. I mean, this is a good time to learn topics, right? This is a good time to learn stuff. Um, But mostly what we need is to get really good at being good learners. And what's weird about most academic institutions is usually by the time you're a tenured professor, sometimes you end up forgetting that. You end up forgetting that really your superpower is your power to learn. And it's to be curious, it's to be humble, it's to be open, you know, right? So one of the things I learned about doing a PhD was there was a small moment, about 15 minutes, where I, when you get a PhD, you have to demonstrate that you have filled a gap in the knowledge. So for about 15 minutes, I was the smartest person in the world about one tiny little topic. Now, probably somebody else was right behind me and made it was went beyond me. But what I mostly learned at that moment was how much I didn't know about everything else. And that I, having doctor in front of my name, did not make me an expert in everything. And that it, this moment is past. And what I need to learn is use my tools to learn, to grow, to continue to learn and grow. I mean, that's the, mm. the discipline of learning to be a to be a student and care more about the learning than more anything else. And that's what we need leaders for. Leaders lead the learning. Yeah, so good. Um, This one's coming in from Jason. I guess other than bringing you in to consult and lead the team through the process, uh, how would you take this book, these words, these ideas, uh, this, this process even, and recommend them bring it to their staff to lead their staff through the process? Well, I also have resources you can take to your staff. There's study guides. I have an online study guide. I have, I'm teaching an entire six-week uh, deep dive uh, online for people who want to learn how to develop a rule of life for resilience. So we have resources, okay? What I would say is the most important thing for you to do, if you're going to take it to your staff and your team or to your community, is do your own work and invite people into that work with you. Mm. Like even more than... Don't become the expert in being able to define resilience. Become the person who is being transformed and invite people in there with you. Like that's the most important thing you can learn because I mean, what mostly we need to be resilient is we we need to, to know that we are not alone in our vulnerability. And that's why to me, the center of the book is the anvil. The anvil is really this, is the really the role of relationships. Yeah. And if there's a- anything that I just pause on and spend most of my time on, it's most of us as leaders don't have nearly enough relationships. You need a heavy anvil of relationships. You need partners. You need mentors. You need friends. Mm. Partners are the people who share your mission with you. They're as committed to the mission as you are. That's what makes them a partner. Friends are people who care about you more than they care about the mission. I always say the partners in my life, they share the mission with me. My friends are people who care about me. My friends are the people who say, hey, Todd, you published another book. And I go, yeah. And they go, congratulations. I go, thanks. You want to read it? And they go, no. 
not at all. No, no. But I love We'd like you. to have a copy. We'd like to have a copy to have on our shelf with you to sign it because you know we have a friend who has a book. But no, we don't care. No, we don't care at all. We're not interested. That's that's not me. Those are my friends. My friends don't care. They care about me. Your mentors are people who care about me for the mission. They're people who want to invest in my life so that I'm faithful at carrying out my mission. And that's coaches and therapists and spiritual directors. And I always say this, I'll say it here. If I was a bishop in charge of all of those guys, all those pastors and leaders who you're working with, all those people, I would say to you, if you are ever trying to lead without a therapist, a spiritual director, or a coach, it is leadership malpractice. Mm. Wow. If LeBron Mike James drop. needs a coach, you need a choke coach, right? Wow. Right? If, Mike drop. Right? Good. Yeah. So just to know Good. that the center of this, what you can bring to your team is that conversation. We're going to be in this conversation together. We're going to learn together. We're going to be partners in the mission together. We're going to ask each other, who are the friends who care more about us? We're going to say, where are the places where I'm getting coaching or support or spiritual direction? And we're going to work through it together. Oh, that's good. Uh, last question. You're talking about prototyping our way forward, experimenting our way forward. Just wanted to end with that. What are a couple of suggestions of some prototypes or some experiments uh, that we can do to actually move toward the future here? Yeah. So the most important thing you can do with an experiment is start by getting really, really clear on your charism, your gift, your uniqueness. Any quote prototype is going to be a safe, modest aligned experiment aligned with your gifts so so the goal of i mean it's not a it's not an experiment if you like you know do something so big that if it doesn't if it goes wrong everybody loses their job that's not an experiment right an experiment has to be and the point of an experiment is it has to be about learning you don't ask the question did it work you ask what did we learn mm. so how i know you're doing an experiment is you're trying to say there's something we want to learn so here's, here's something I want to learn. Will older people use technology? Here's something I learned during COVID. My 78-year-old mother who would not get on Facebook or get an iPhone got on Zoom to see her grandchildren. Huh. Right? She wouldn't get on Facebook. She didn't have time. She wouldn't get an iPhone because I don't need one. I just needed my little flip phone. But Zoom, she would get on for her grandchildren. That's interesting. So now let's talk about how we think about using technology for what, right? I, I learned that. I, I had 15 speaking engagements canceled in one week in March. I thought I was done. I'd, been, I'd traveled 100,000 miles uh, on the, by airlines the last two years. I thought this year I was just going to sit at home and, I don't know, write stuff. I did 93 webinars. <laughs> Wow. I spoke to more people in 2020 than I did in 2019 and 2018 combined. I had no idea that was coming. I don't know if that's going to be the same thing in 2022, but I know a lot of people who are never going to be able to afford to fly me are going to say, do you have 30 minutes to get on with our group? And I can say yes. So you now begin to experiment. So what I want to say with experimenting, think the future is going to be hybrid. It's going to be high tech and high touch. And the church is going to have to be just as alive in a living room. If it doesn't live in a living room or a backyard, it's not going to live in a sanctuary or a fellowship hall. It is going to have to be both. 
And we're going to need more discipleship and more leadership development in order to experiment and go deeper and to learn as we go. Wow, man. So grateful for you, Todd. Incredible book. I wouldn't say I was angry at the end, but I was at least sad uh, that that it ended. Thanks so much for your time uh, today. Where can people find more of those resources, study guides, next steps you were talking about? Yeah. Thanks for asking. So I've got a team that set this up. This is not, I didn't know this, but they did this. If you text the word change, just change, C-H-A-N-G-E, change to 66866. Change 66866. Too many sixes in a row for a pastor, but there's an eight in the middle, right? Uh, change to 66866. You'll get connected to the church leadership initiative that I run, uh, dupree.org slash church. And you'll get connected to that. And then you can get resources from us and we'll send you some stuff. And if you want to get off our mailing list, you can, but you'll, you can just have access to all the stuff we're doing. And some of those things are, man, most of them are for free. A few of them are just resources and services we offer for a fee. Awesome. Todd, thanks so much. We're talking about canoe in the mountains a little bit, tempered resilience a lot, but I thought it'd be just fair to end with these guys giving you a hand. So I'm going to walk into the next room and our crew coming in from Keller, Texas says, <laughs> that's awesome. awesome that's very very fun so thank much you for coming on well friends so many good takeaways from that episode and i just want to invite you to name the things from last year if you haven't yet if you haven't named the disappointments the frustrations the losses of last year take some time to do that sit with close friends sit with your counselor a spiritual director your coach somebody you can look back with so that you can activate and move forward. We're not going to stay there in the mess, but we've got to name it so we can grieve it, so we can move on, we can activate, and ultimately, we can live the life God has designed us to live and lead in the ways that God has designed us to lead. Guys, we'll be back for another great episode. Next time in the podcast, we've got some great topics coming up here. We're, we're going straight at some topics that you may not know that you need to hear about, but you need to hear about them. Some great conversations coming up. We'll check you on the next podcast. Shine, shine, shine. We ain't focused so long.